Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 269 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Knott. Chris is a health and fitness coach, educator, soft tissue therapist, and a podcaster. Chris has gained an abundance of knowledge on the human body and the way it moves through countless years of training, working with clients, and his own personal education and research. His ability to break down the complex into actionable and understandable takeaways is what I believe sets Chris apart from many others in this industry. In this episode, you can expect to learn why pursuing strength-based goals exclusively might not be the best approach for your longevity, what you can do if you're experiencing lower back pain or nerve pain, along with why you might want to rethink putting deadlifts, squats, and the bench press at the beginning of your training sessions. So without further ado, Chris Knott. Chris Knott, welcome to the show. How are you today, man? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm looking forward to having our conversation today and getting to know you a little bit better and also diving into your expertise as well. So for those who may have not come across yourself before, can you give us a little bit of insight into who you are and what it is that you do? So I was a personal trainer. Well, I say I say was, I still am a personal trainer. I did that for the best part of 10 years and then was kind of at a point where I was thinking, where's this going? Um, you know, I think we're very much like a first generation type of thing of, of personal trainers in terms of being like a, a, a real job with longevity. In 2019, um, retrained and started an osteopathy degree. So started to retrain as an osteopath but never came out of the fitness industry. So still do a little bit, a little bit of online coaching, work with a lot of bodybuilders, strong men. So it's, it's osteopathy, which is the treatment side of things with a mixture of applying it to the fitness industry and so forth. So yeah, it, it's, it's more, I want to say it kind of rehab, but it's almost, it's almost like maximizing training so you can get stronger as well. So it's waiting for um, training in such a way where you prevent the injury from happening rather than having to address it once it has. So yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell where I've come from, what I do. Mm, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I do find that a lot of people go down the route of being an osteopath, going into physiotherapy or looking deeper into nutrition because of realistically, you do wonder whether the lifespan of a personal trainer can go beyond three, five or even 10 years, right? So you're absolutely right from that perspective. And now that you have added that tool to your arsenal, do you see the longevity within the career now? 
as an osteopath yeah as a pt yeah but i think that you have to keep on it well for me anyway it was really important that you're always developing and i think that's the same with any job is that you know are you moving in the right direction where you can warrant charging more or where you can warrant growing and taking to a certain way so i just didn't want to be doing the same job in in 10 years time for the same money so i think that pts can go on for as long as they want but what we've got to remember is we have no pension we have no paid holidays and we have a lot of uh, you, you're essentially self-employed so you know nobody's going to increase your salary but yourself which is why you have to act so it's very much down on the individual like yeah you can stay in the industry for a long time but you always need to think about what the next step is absolutely and on that note i want to go a little further back to where it all began what was your first exposure to health and fitness when you started training yourself and when you made a decision to be a figure within the health and fitness industry I went to university and I just knew I needed to do something in physical, something in the um, health and fitness. So I did sports science uh, in Birmingham, lasted, I want to say six months, but that's been pretty generous. I just needed to get working. So I, I thought initially that you needed a sports science degree to be a personal trainer. I thought that there's no way you could have such a important job without having that level of qualification. Um, and then came up, I think it was like a, a pop-up or something or a junk mail in my inbox one day, like become a personal trainer in seven weeks, which I couldn't believe. So I did that in Bournemouth and then didn't know what to do, literally left that, got that qualification in the July, Didn't just went home and, and didn't start working until November. Where I went to a few places where you had to do freelance work and pay rent. That didn't work out because I had no idea what I was doing. And then ended up in a David Lloyd doing gym shifts and you know, all the stuff that you do. So I've, I've always been into health and fitness. Like I've, I've always been into keeping fit and sports. So to me, it was always a no-brainer. I didn't fall into it. I always knew that I'd have to do something physical as a job and just for my own kind of... Because I've always seen it. Like, wouldn't it be really cool if you could use your own body as an experiment and, you know, gain knowledge where you can run these experiments on yourself and see what you're capable of. So that's why I've always seen things. So that's what I wanted to make sure that I did. No, it sounds fascinating and it looks like it's taking you to a great place and if you could go back in time because i know that you give advice to a lot of online trainers and personal trainers now what advice would you give to chris just starting his career back then not not a lot to be honest because the reason why is that i think it's the mistakes that i made early which is what's allowed me to progress because I th- the, the biggest thing i've seen in, in personal trainers who've like have either coached or helps is that fear of failure, fear of judgment, fear of, of all these different things. I've got like some spectacular, like quote unquote failures, but some horror moments of being in the fitness industry from when I first started out. And I think it's getting everything wrong that's helped me get everything right to a degree or, you know, at least go on the right path. So I, I would probably say, if anything, don't be as scared of failing harder sooner because you would have got there. But I think that in terms of a... Uh, like foresight again I, I wouldn't say that i've always been on the right path but i say that there was the mistakes that i made which was which has made it so if i had to give me one bit of advice with myself it would probably be more about the financial planning i was always okay with that but i'll probably say a bit more about financial planning and if it was training advice it would be don't move the goalposts which is stick to your goals longer so don't get adhd with your training and one you know one month want to be strong one minute one month want to be ripped one month want to be big and it's just just literally keep that the goal and then keep that the goal for five years because at the end of those five years you'll be in good shape because I think that's one thing I was a bit guilty of is trying to do everything and not sticking to something for long enough when it came to my own training and goals. 
Yeah, I want to touch on that because you posted something relatively recently, which I found really interesting. Is you posted a video of you doing a deadlift, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 200 kilos for six or something along those lines. And you were taking a retrospective look at that time of your life, looking at the temptation of wanting to be that strong again, but also determining that you were relatively stronger now, even though you couldn't potentially lift those same loads. So can you expand on that a little bit more about those potential training mistakes? I don't want to call them mistakes because they weren't mistakes, but maybe the short-sighted view you had of your body and longevity and how you've turned that around to where you find yourself today? It's, it's a funny one because I think that you know, for, for listeners, and I think this is, I just want to kind of give them a bit of like context on things is because I work with people who are quite high levels within the fitness industry. So what I mean by that is you'll see someone who's really strong or really ripped or really big and you, the general population people might look at them and go, wow, I wish I looked like that or I could do that. But the sacrifice and the the things behind that sometimes aren't the healthiest in what you have to do to your body. And yeah, the weights that I, I, I could lift respectable weights, but nothing that was ever remotely world-class or to the level that I, I aspired to be. They were respectable in some circumstances, but I had to sacrifice a lot of things such as movement qualities. And there was always this like little voice in my head going, you know, this isn't good for you. You know, you're going to pay for this when you're a lot older. You know that, you know, that disc in your back is not always going to hold up and hence, you know, going down the osteopathy route. But whenever you push your body to its limits, it's like, I just see it as this triangle where you're this little peak for a very, very short period of time. And the peak is what we see is that like minute little clip, which is the highlight, which is like the pinnacle of the triangle. That's what everybody sees. But reality is, is that you're a lot lower down majority of the time. And that clip was like that little peak in the triangle is that that's something I could do for a short period of time but the sustainability wasn't there and yeah i mean you know i I kind of saw myself as being quote-unquote back then i thought like quote-unquote intelligent with my training or i'd like to think that and i'd done a lot of courses and a lot of you know like the poliquin stuff a lot of trained and been studied under some great strength coaches so i always like to think i was doing it smartly but my movement quality was terrible like you know i was constantly having knee pain back pain neck pain but lifting these loads and you get into that mindset of like, I'm just going to keep lifting because that's what I do. We go through this, you know, daily grind or whatever. We get stronger because that's just, you know, what it is. But I just knew it wasn't right for me. So like I said, is that if that weight was in front of me tomorrow, that weight is not getting lifted. <laughs> Trust me. But if, if you were to do like a load of tests in terms of agility, mobility, health, heart health, muscular endurance, muscular strength, core strength, I'd absolutely blow myself out of the water. So essentially to narrow down the question is that specificity is really, really important. And we take ourselves in certain directions based on what we do most often. And when you really narrow down a certain direction, such as pure strength training or pure hypertrophy, you can sometimes lose sight of those other components, which are so important just to move well. And the amount of people who reach out to me, who either train with me or come see me for treatment, the amount of people who said, I just want to be able to go for a run or I don't want to wake up my back hurts or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have these constant niggles. That's the type of people I work with now. And uh, and it's a lot more, in my opinion, a little bit more fulfilling because you're getting people out of pain. But I think it's more about not being so pigheaded about objective numbers, which don't in reality mean a lot. So I think that kind of answers your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. It does. I'm mainly intrigued about how you came to that place where I think a lot of us could only run into that place if we have a bad consequence of our actions, but it doesn't sound like you ran into anything particularly challenging. So it's interesting to see that you had that insight before it became a lower back issue or something that was even incurable. Um, No, no, I did. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I, I did uh, quite a bit. So the first one was I initially went through a powerlifting phase, and I was really, really into powerlifting. And that was I think it was 2012. It was 10 years ago, and I was doing loads and loads of like low bar back squats and loads and loads of deadlifting, and just didn't have any concepts or anything. I was a gym instructor at the time, and I went to pick up a weight. I remember I think I told this story the other day to a patient actually, and it was one of those yellow 15 kilo. I don't know if you've ever seen them. You know the plates which are like circles and then have circles in them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them in the gyms. It's like they're they're almost like it's a wheel in a sense, but they have like holes in them as well. I remember exactly where I was in the gym, exactly the color of the plate, and I just went to reach across it, bent forward, and it felt like someone put a machete through my spine, like right at the base, and that was like crippled. I was I was crippled like. I had to literally, I don't know how I even drove home, but then was on the sofa, left the front door open and was just like in the fetal position just with my back. And that started like a long progression into going into low back issues. So that was before I started doing the strongman training. I've done a slap tear in my left shoulder bench pressing then the lower back became an SI joint issue and that was persistent then a few years later it was left knee that became left hamstring and then that competition that you're referring to which was four years ago doing the deadlift I had a completely clean run no injuries up between that one and then I was training just getting going into the next like big cycle or big block and I was training with a lot less load than I was like uh, by like 75% of something of the max loads that I usually would. I was just doing a deadlift. Everything felt great. Form felt good. And I just, again, felt this huge tear go through my right SI joint, like something, I think it was either a ligament or fascia just completely just went and it was like a deep burning sensation. That was 2018. So yeah, so that was, that those like a transitional page of right, a phase of like, right, I need to come out of this, go back to the foundations. And that's where all the breathing foot core, stuff comes from so yeah i'd love to say it's hindsight but no no i've been through the wars a bit with uh, with lifting okay that makes a lot of sense and uh at least you learned your lesson like that's the wisest thing right and on that note as well i do want to get to the basics to begin with and go through some of the fundamentals of what people are getting wrong when it comes to their strength and hypertrophy goals because that's where most people are going into the gym for the first time either they want to get as strong as possible or they want to pack on muscle on their frame or they want to do a combination of both well i mean that's the reason for the training but quite often they want to lose body fat as well but where are we going wrong with our typical bodybuilding style training sessions that we go straight into when we're very new to lifting again really good question because it's based on assumptions and this is something that I, th- I think is really, really important for A, personal trainers to know and B, general population people to know because I've been very fortunate. I've, I've worked with high-level bodybuilders, like very high-level bodybuilders and, and physique athletes. And a lot of them have sporting backgrounds, move well, and start early. So they might do sports all their lives. They might be genetically quite lean already. They go into the gym, they start lifting weights, and then they lift, tw- lift weights for 20 years. And that's the people again who we'll see on the cover of magazines or now Instagram, I suppose, the magazines. So that's who that that's where people will see like, oh, that's what I want to look like. Because if you think of a typical, if you say to a guy, who who do you want to look like? What do you want to look like? It's typically, oh, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or maybe something a little bit more svelte these days. But the problem there is that you've got somebody who has come from a movement background and then does something for a very long time. And essentially, we just get good at the things that we do over and over again. So if somebody's got a big chest and they've been lifting dumbbells for 20 years, they've, uh, you know, chest pressing dumbbells for 20 years, they have 20 years experience or at least 10 years experience of that movement pattern, knowing what a contraction feels like, their body's adapted to it, they know how to grow that muscle tissue. 
Whereas general population people, you have to assess where you're coming from because if you uh, sat at a desk all day and then you drive, uh, you know, or you have an existing shoulder injury, so your left and short, right shoulder are different, that chest press which grows the guy on the cover model, it grows his chest and that chest press that you're doing, they impact the body on completely different ways. So it's, it's the assumptions of just because this person does it and it works for them, it will work for me. In reality, you know, we have to really assess and look at just the actual movement quality of these structures and, uh, and someone's capabilities in that way before applying the exercise so it's not necessarily in a pessimistic way because i really like to emphasize that my goal isn't to stop people from doing these movements and it's not to say you shouldn't do them it's to do them in a manner that makes them a lot more efficient because you know you'll know that there's people who you see in the gym and that you've seen them in the gym for 10 years or you know five five years whichever and they're using the same weights they never look any different and they just go and they're lifting they just look exactly the same they do the same routine and logically that doesn't make any sense whereas i'm saying if you could get that same person educate them a little bit show them some maybe foundationals or fundamentals they would see a lot more growth in a a lot quicker period of time so i'd say anybody who's embarking on a strength and hypertrophy journey is that think a lot more logically and i think you mentioned um, in your email prior was like it's common sense and i think common sense is always prevails for somebody to stimulate a muscle the joint structure needs to work really well so basically you just need to be able to move and everything nothing should be clicking nothing should be painful nothing should be giving them any um, issues and then you have to think about the volume of stimulus that you get so in other words if you're sat down all day and drive all day and then go to the gym three times a week that's not the same body which is responding to these fit young individuals whose job it is to be a bodybuilder yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And it's very easy to apply those programs and principles and think it is going to work in the exact same way. But the reality is, is that those lifestyles that they lead, especially the bodybuilders or those athletes, is that they leave a very, not a comfortable life, but they prioritize their recovery and take naps all different times of day. And you, like you said, you're coming from a very good foundation of sports. And a lot of us don't necessarily have that. So I think it's easy to take that on, but then realize that we were applying some very optimal principles to potentially non optimal body at this stage, just based on the postural challenges that a lot of us have. And when I was speaking to my community on someone who would have biomechanic expertise and knowledge when it comes to training, a couple of things that came up were nerve pain and or nerve damage and also lower back pain. So can we cover lower back pain first? And if someone is experiencing that based on these postural challenges that they have, where can they go with their strength training if they are experiencing lower back pain every time they step into the gym? So again, we'll go, we'll go with really simple terminology. So the, you, you, everyone's familiar with the spine. And if you think about, everyone generally knows what a spine looks like. More likely, you'll know what your coccyx is, you know, the little bone at the end, which is essentially what was at one point a tail. And you have your sacrum. And the sacrum is that hand-shaped bone or the, the kind of um, the bone at the bottom which has like holes in it and if you you know if anyone is like i have no idea what you're talking about just kind of google picture of a pelvis but generally speaking people know what a a sacrum looks like but it has all these little holes in them and those holes are basically little windows for nerves to go through it's a really 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 important complex for lower body movement but just in general so the reason for talking about that is that your sacrum is a, a really really important biomechanical structure for walking movement and lifting so you have to really look after it. And again, I think, how, how the hell do you look after your sacrum? But the reason why we don't look after our sacrum is because we sit on it all day and we add pressure and compression to it. 
So if with the body and organs and, and nerves is that, you know, when we, when we add pressure to it from either being overweight or from sitting or not moving enough, it's like very, very quiet suffocation, which I know is a little bit not a nice thought, but it essentially is because we're just dampening this structure's ability to move freely. So the reason why people get so much lower back pain is that imagine your sacrum needs to be able to swing really fluidly, just like move and rock gently. And it needs to be able to rock back and forwards and it needs to be able to slightly twist from side to side as well. So you've got this three-dimensional movement, which is essentially the, the pelvis going like that. And that's what it's structurally designed to do because that's how it's designed to walk and squat and so forth. So the reason why so many people get lower back pain is because that structure doesn't move. It's because their their glutes or the muscles really deep inside the hips are tight. It's because their ankles are tight, because their feet are tight, and they the, the feet are very important for allowing movement further down the chain. So because there's all these restrictions everywhere, that sacrum gets gets fixed into a certain position. So that really, really important bone at the base of your spine, which has a lot of nerves in it that go through it, can't move that, that well. So if I was to, and I know this is kind of videoed as well, so people might be able to see on YouTube, but if, you, if you're listening, it's if, imagine there's this sacrum that needs to very, very gently just rock and, and glide very, very subtly. Say that's now fixed because we've sat on it or we've, we've got tight muscles surrounding it. If that can't move and there's a, there's a vertebra above and there's, there's a, you know, anybody who's had lower back pain will know, the most common issue people come to with an, an osteopath or a treatment is L4-5 disc issues. So that's just basically the, the disc above the above the sacrum and then the one above that it's because what's happening is is because it's not moving in the sacrum when somebody either rotates or they put like forces through it such as a deadlift because they're leaning over the basically because because there's restriction it's going to bend and either push the disc in a certain direction or it's going to put pressure on the nerves that surround it and then that's where the disc prolapses or the um, or the the annular tears which is basically the tears in the disc occur so that's why I would say is that before we can lift load, we need to earn that ability by just doing foundational movement, get everything being able to move, and then you can get it to be able to create compression. Because the common thing behind it is that, you know, people might say, right, well, we'll teach people how to squat and deadlift like a powerlifter, and they'll create this loads of intra-abdominal pressure, which you think, yeah, that's really good. But if someone doesn't move very well because they sat down all day, and then they create tons of intra-abdominal pressure, and they make their spine more rigid, they're adding less movement to less movement. And yeah, they might be able to lift the weight, but this is why so many of these lower back injuries come. So in terms of how do you address this? Mobility is kind of a get out of jail clause. It's just one of those where you can do it, but I, I, you and I know that sometimes it's not the most realistic. People aren't always going to stick to you know 10 minutes of this or that or every morning. But breathing is a really, really easy one because breathing is just like massaging the insides if you do it diaphragmatically. So deep nasal inhalations into your diaphragm, that can help. But walking is really good because of that as well. Walking just because you're just getting that fluidity and the mechanics going through it. And also, understanding your own leverages and your own levers because no matter how well somebody lifts i do really believe it's not the technique it's the setup so some people just genuinely won't be built to lift weights off the floor some people won't be built to squat all the way down and it's round hole square peg training when you're trying to ingrain that and you just don't have the ability to now a lot of people can get better they can get stronger and lift lower and go lower with squats and deadlifts and movements however that takes time 
And if you've got three hours a week or two hours a week as a personal trainer with somebody and their goal is body composition and body fat, it's more than likely that they'll want to be focusing on those components rather than moving perfectly and doing all these breathing and mobility drills. So it's like the lowest hanging fruit. If you can get someone on a machine or you can get someone on a cardio piece of equipment and that'll help them lose a little bit of weight, we'll go with that rather than trying to make them this perfect biomechanical specimen. So back pain is 100% a looking at the entire lifestyle. It's thinking about that sacrum movement and lower back function. If your lower back is very tight and restricted, then that's asking for trouble. Breathing is the the easiest way to get that and also mobilizing your hips because they have a massive impact on that. Mobilize your hips, mobilize your feet. They're number one easy things to do. And when it comes to nerve pain, nerve pain can be peripheral. It can be from the neurological space. That can be, it's either coming from the spine or it's coming from a trapped nerve further away. So with those, if you get nerve pain, I'd love to say, oh, you do this, you do this, and it goes away. Yeah, nerve pain, you just need to go see a therapist, a physio, chiropractor, um, osteo. Just go see someone reputable, explain the situation, and they should take it from there because we don't really know what we're playing with and, and getting advice on those type of things is, is not good from the internet because it's not taking you into consideration. That type of thing, get yourself screened by someone who's got a good reputation and they'll do the rest. Yeah, it's a perfect way to answer that question. And I find that there is that temptation to try and, like you said, square peg round hole. So I'm wondering if someone is determined to squat, who is determined to deadlift, maybe they have a particular interest in both of those type of movements and don't want to be defeated by the idea that they're just not genetically built for it. Is it going to be down to mobility or is there a certain level of acceptance that we have to accept that, you know, a certain joint structures might not be built for this? Or do you think there is a way for everyone to do the certain movements that are created? Yeah, um, it definitely is because I think there's um, there's there's a guy who I work with who's a, who is like a recreational powerlifter, and we have some really funny conversations. And the, the our motto is kind of uh, technique is for the weak <laughs> because and I know that's not the most not not the most um, the best thing to say or don't probably people to hear, but we say that because is it why is it that all these people who are lifting ridiculous weights or people lifting four five hundred kilo deadlifts, but they have poor technique and you might see the back rounding and you might see this this going on. And the reality is, the general reality is, is that there's no such thing as perfect technique. There's no such thing as neutral spine. Neutral spine doesn't really exist. The spine's always going to move under load. It's somebody's general ability to withstand you know either flexion or extension of spine and rotation so in other words it's just because you can't lift something perfectly doesn't mean that you can't lift it because otherwise if you know everybody will be familiar with world's strongest man they'll see um, the atlas stones which are those big cement balls at the end they pick them up with a massively rounded back so if you think well hang on if neutral spine is important how do they do that and it's not necessarily that neutral spine is important. It's a bit your ability to control the, the rate at which the spine is moving. So injuries occur when somebody's endurance and strength in the deep muscle stabilizers, either they lose that endurance and strength for a split second, and they're in a position where the external mechanics create a, a force on the body, which the body's current structures don't have the ability to withstand that. And if you think about it, if someone with really like what looks like really ugly technique where you look at them and go, oh, that's horrible. If someone does that, and does that for years and years and years and does that really slowly builds up the weight. So it doesn't do stupid jumps. doesn't go from like, you know, 100 kilos to 150 to 200. They go like 100, 15, 110. It can look however you want. If you do it slowly and your joints, ligaments, tendons, muscles all adapt at the same rate, your body will be able to access that position. So technique is, is really, really down to the individual and based on what the person deems safe, but also your ability 
to uh, get in a position, hold the strength there, and then sustain it for the entire lift. So if someone did really want to squat or deadlift, that's why it's not necessarily the way it looks, it's the way it feels for them. And if they can say to you at any point of the lift, I have control over this bar, then how it looks or, you know, isn't too important. Now, again, people might think, well, how do I know that? So the simplest way to know whether you actually are lifting the weight or you're trying to cheat your way out or using momentum is just to do go slow on the way up. So if you're doing a deadlift, a squat, or a bench press, if you can get to, let's say, 60% of your max, or you can do a weight, and I say, right, I'm going to count to five, and you have to do a five-second concentric, which is basically pushing the weight up. If you can do that with heavier loads, that shows me that you are able to keep that bar path so you're not getting pulled out of position. You're not trying to spring out of it. You're not trying to cheat. If you can do that, to me, I'm not, I'm not too fussed the way it looks as long as it's lifted safely and you, you can control it. But like you said, it just depends on what their goal is. You know, if we're looking at this practically, if you're a personal trainer and you want someone to put on muscle tissue, you generally don't want to injure them. So you don't want to take that risk of picking exercises like, you know, full dip squats and deadlifts from the floor when there's going to be a good, you know, however long, eight, 12 weeks of just getting this person used to doing that. So essentially, again, it does boil down to goals. But if people want to do these movements, they really, really want a squat and deadlift. You have to ask yourself that very, very honest question. Am I actually lifting this using my muscles or am I trying to cheat my biomechanics by either going for a really wide stance or bouncing out the bottom or doing something which you know gives you a little bit more leverage through joint structures and not actually muscle tissue? And it would sound almost paradoxical to say, but would it almost be non-advantageous to almost try and get someone's technique into a quote-unquote perfect position versus what they're doing before as long as they can do it safely or pain-free at least? Because I can imagine being on the gym floor maybe five years ago, looking over my shoulder, thinking about the judgment from the other personal trainers who are thinking, why is he letting him lift like that? And I am just trying to work out is it the right thing to try and optimize their technique based on what you would typically deem as more safe? Or would you keep them in that same familiar position if they were intent on continuing to deadlift and squat? So the, the answer to that, my answer to that would be, what are they losing in order to gain something? So what I mean by that is that if this person is lifting in a certain way, you've got to go by, are they progressing? So are they progressing the lift? Are they getting stronger and stronger and keeping the same technique? So if they're getting stronger, but their technique is getting worse, that's strike one. So no, you can't, you, you don't want to get them. You don't want to increase the weight and they're going from like 60 kilos looks absolutely perfect in text, textbook, but hundred kilo looks terrible. Technique when it gets worse is one of them. Are they in any pain? Are they getting any pain so forth? Or are they a little bit apprehensive? Are they moving any different? Are they walking slower? Are they a little bit more tentative? What are they like afterwards? Are they able to deadlift? But then when you try and get them to do lying leg curls after all, when you're trying to get them to do any exercise after that, they can't because the lower back's absolutely blown up. The other one would be once you've established like the pain levels and you know if they're not pain or not progressing, are they really losing range of motion in a certain way? So for them, do their hips feel tighter? Do they, you know, do their ankles feel tighter? Are they starting to get headaches because the their upper body is getting so tight to deal with the heavy weights that are lifting? So if someone says to you, look, you know, I really, I really want to dead, I'd love to deadlift 150 kilos. If anybody gets a client doing saying that to them and it means a lot to them, then you you should let them do it. You know, it'd be a great goal. And I used to train people a lot of this because I used to get my clients into strength training and do that. But you just have to appreciate it that 
deadlifting is going to do certain things to the body. So you need to then offset that and reverse all the bad things that deadlift does, which is like spinal compression, putting a lot of load through the lumbers. So you, you need to do a lot of work on the core, a lot of work on quads for a lot of people. And you just make sure that it's a balanced session because the biggest mistake I would say people make with deadlifting programs is making it all posterior chain. And this is what I did when I was doing strongman, which is posterior chain is basically just muscles in the back of your body, lower back, glutes, and hamstrings, is that they might do deadlift, then they might do reverse hyper, then they might do RDLs. You've just done three of the exact same movements over and over again. When I program deadlifts, it's like deadlifts, and then it'll be something like a dead bug, so a, dead, a core exercise. It'll be then something where you're trying to change the direction in which your pelvis is going, or you know maybe a squat pattern, but a really kind of light getting things in different places. So a good trainer and a good coach, it should always generally be 50-50 in terms of what does the client want and enough to keep them in, enjoying, but also what do you want and what are your non-negotiables? They say to you, I want a dead lift because I like deadlifting. You say, I'm going to let you deadlift, but I'm going to control how much weight you lift so you don't go too heavy. And I'm also going to control what you do after. And you have to do this mobility for me as well, because that's the compromise that we've made in order for you to do this safely. Because again, like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, no number or objective numbers are more important than a damaged lower back. hundred percent. And on that note as well, we've spoken a lot about compound movements and typically we might see those at the beginning of someone's workout. Very, very used to seeing a deadlift at the beginning, a squat at the beginning, a bench press. But I recently saw that you mentioned that you're not too much a proponent of putting a compound movement at the very start. You might put some corrective exercises in first or a couple of different joint opening exercises, for example, before you put the compound. Can you explain your rationale behind doing that? Again, just to, just to make it a little bit more interesting and, and, and prevent myself getting too technical, how would you feel if you, you went to see this blockbuster film? So you, you're waiting for this film to come out and it's, in, it's like a new Marvel or a new James Bond or something like that line. And it's absolutely insane at the beginning. There's this unbelievable scene at the beginning. There's this car chase or this big fight or something in the first 10 minutes of it. And then it tapers off, tapers off, tapers off. And then it just kind of finishes and there's nothing. And it just kind of gets to the end. You're just like, well, actually, it just kind of, filtered out it didn't really go anywhere it started really good and then it kind of went and and the the reason for kind of explaining it like that is that compound movements to do them effectively they need to be respected and the way i see it is that again if people even as a personal trainer because as a personal trainer if you've done like six sessions a day or you've done three sessions in the morning and then you're going to train all you've essentially done is stood around so you're still not like you've still been quite rigid but if someone's been sat down a lot and then they go straight into the gym, they're going to be quite stiff or restricted. So the way I do things or the way I like to think is that what do I want to know is moving? So what is moving really well before this person is going to put the most amount of load through the body? So have I done something to stimulate the core, maybe something to warm up the knees or hamstrings or, or, or what, whichever? Even though some people think, well, you're pre-fatigued, you're pre-fatigued because you've done all this stuff beforehand. It's like, yeah, but pre-fatigue in compound movements is a good thing because you're going to be more aware of the muscles that you want to use and it's going to prevent you from lifting loads which you may not be able to do. But essentially, all the joints will be warmed up and oiled up nicely. So it's, again, it, whenever I've like coached people through it or, or I've said, have you got any questions about your program? This is the thing they ask is that, why am I doing squats or deadlifts like third or fourth in the plan? And again, it's, it's that reason is that I want to make sure that everything's moving fluidly. And what people forget is that joints in our body are a lot like joints on a, you know, hinges on a door or joints in a car is that they need lubrication. They need to move. And 
the more you do that, the more the system will move more effectively. And there's nothing more important, in my opinion, in a program than the big movement you're going to do, such as the squat or deadlift or bench press. So it's really almost like a glorified warm-up. But say, for example, someone is a back extender squat. So they, they really fall forward and they kind of use their lower back to extend it up. And that's quite a common issue to have. It might be that the issue is their their ankle mobility. So if I give them like a calf exercise, then I give them a split squat where they're really driving their knee forward. And then I give them a core exercise. I know that the spine's nice and warmed up, their ankles are warmed up and their knee knows how to track over the foot better. So they're all the components that you need for a squat. Why would you do them after if, you, if they're what you really need to do before? If you know if that's what if you really want the squat to perform the best, it doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, there are, there are going to be occasions, one hundred percent, when um, I might put it a bit earlier, or I might put it first. But that's with people who I know have that movement quality, who I've either coached for a while or I've seen them lift, and I know they can do that. So there are exceptions, but it just makes more sense to me to program that way. And I think a lot of it might be just parking our pre-existing ideas of what a training program should look like, or even our egos at the door as well. Because realistically, I think a lot of people will have to take a step back in the amount of load that they can shift. But as you've mentioned quite a few times now, it's like there's no number that's worth compromising your health and your longevity long-term. So I think if you can just change the perspective from, yeah, what am I actually doing this squat or deadlift for? And how long do I want to be squatting and deadlift for or exercising full stop? Then I think it's an easy switch to make. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's very it's very easy to get attached to numbers and you know, I still set myself numerical goals of what I'd like to lift. But I just think the most important thing, I suppose, you know, you asked before, like, what's the one thing I would have said to myself when starting off training? It probably would be that no matter what, nobody cares what you lift apart from you. Literally nobody. Nobody. The only person who cares how much you lift is you. Literally. Like, your coach, maybe. You Maybe if you've got, like, a strongman or powerlifting coach, they might care. But they won't care about how much you lift as much as how much they lift. So just remember that. is like, you're the only person. And contextually, there's not a great the deal of difference between 195 and 200 you know <laughs> and this is a funny one because i say this to a lot of my clients uh, again online more than anything now is you might say like right in 12 weeks i want to deadlift 150 kilos and you might do it and you might do 140 that day when you do your testing day and it might move really well but you think any heavier is going to be hard but you, you put 150 on and then you don't do it and it doesn't move. It feels like you're literally moving the earth. And this is, again, something I used to do. That knock of your confidence is not worth what being able to say, oh, I lifted 150 kilos, you know, because then, then you've got this psychological block about it. Like, I didn't lift that weight. I failed at it. And then suddenly you get stuck in this stagnation. So, again, when I said I'm very fortunate is that when I was going through, like, the very heavy educational phase from the from the fitness industry, I literally learned about every anybody or anyone about powerlifting or strongman. So, Dan green and um ed cohen for listeners that you know not going to be massively familiar with those but they're you know the Messi and ronaldo of powerlifting and ed cohen the thing that i took from his seminar or the thing that i took from from seeing him in person was he just said i never i never missed a lift in training i never ever missed a lift in training he said i i always waited on the platform and again i know a lot of people listening that this will be recreational it will be they go to the gym they're not going to be elite level powerlifters but you've just got to remember like failing a lift is so dangerous physiologically and psychologically it's not worth it because if you lift 140 kilos in six months time if you just carry on lifting and carry on turning up and carry on doing things safely you will more than likely hit that 150 you know so just because you don't don't do it today doesn't mean you can't do it in six months to a year 
as long as you don't get distracted or disheartened. And again, the number one reason I find people don't carry on with the goals is because they get disheartened because they didn't achieve the goal soon enough. Yeah, and the choice to achieve that goal within that time frame is so almost arbitrary, right? It's almost just that I want to be there in 12 weeks. It's the same as the world that I'm in, which is more body composition. It's like, I want to be, okay, maybe they might have a holiday or a certain occasion, but quite often it's like, yep, yeah, I want to do this in three months or six months because it just seems like a good time frame. And then, as you mentioned, they get to that 140 kilos or in the body composition world, it might be the difference between dropping 10 kilos instead of 12 kilos, for example. And all of a sudden they're disheartened by the 10 kilos kilos have dropped because they haven't got those final two kilos within an arbitrary time frame that they set randomly at the very start. But as you mentioned, that usually leads to you doing the opposite and then they're not even getting to where you wanted to be, but just showing up continuously, not getting disheartened by the fact that you're not two kilos within this arbitrary time is the key to your success anyway. It's yeah, it's extremely paradoxical, but very simple when you say it out loud. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is targets and goals are great. They're, re- they're really, really important. And you, you need them. You can't, I don't really think you can't train without a goal, you know, unless you're very, very well versed in it and you know what you're doing and you just happen to carry on. But like you said there, is that the main thing that people should be concerned about is progression and progression proportional to effort. But, you know, at the end of the day, just because you said if we, if we go with body composition, I want to lose 14 kilos in, in eight weeks you know, and you lose 12, you should not be disappointed. You should be celebrating massively that you lost 12 kilos. It means nothing that you didn't hit your goals because if you've got a formula, formulas are more important than outcomes because formulas are repeatable. So as soon as you've got that formula of, I know what I need to do to achieve this. So I got 12 kilos off. I'll go on holiday, enjoy my holiday, come back and then I can just rinse and repeat. And then in another 12 weeks time, I may have lost that extra three or four kilos. You know, it'll slow down, but whichever. So yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of being aware of that is is really important which is, you know, um, a friend of mine, Oscar, he, he loves this quote and goes on it anyway. He's like, don't be afraid of the time it'll take to do something because the time will pass anyway. And, uh, you know, when I was saying about keeping goals, the goal is that, you know, with your lifting early, you know, we know that imagine how strong you'd be if you just kept to the same plan or the same lift for 10 years. But we don't, we get like, we go again, we try different things, we do things now. But if you've just started and deadlifted with just really, really good technique, you didn't care about how much you lifted, you just deadlifted or squatted or bench pressed with the same technique or anything you want it could be any exercise in the gym if you just did that for 10 years how strong would you be at it now and it's essentially that so with people and you can always switch it back to body composition anything but with people who want to lose body weight is that it's very important with the coach that you pick that you are looking at this from a long-term point of view. So I know we've kind of segued onto online coaching and, and that type of thing. But you know, if you're going to a coach because you're going to spend eight to 12 weeks with them to do a fat loss phase, that to me is setting yourself up for not necessarily failure, but you're just going to end back at square one anyway. And it's very important that you periodize, you you roadmap and you look at what, who you're going to work with and why you're going to work with them and where you're going to be over six months, 12 months, and maybe even longer, but you, you'll see from there. Because as soon as you enter that realm of, I'm going to do eight weeks with this person or 12 weeks with this person, I'll hit my goals and that's great, is that again, you're just setting yourself up for, well, you might say, right, I wanted to lose 10 kilos, I lost eight, I'm disappointed, I didn't hit my goals, I'll go back to my old habits and then in the back at square one. So yeah, goal setting is important, but longevity and looking at the big picture is is even more so yeah i can agree more and the part that you mentioned regarding the formula is the biggest key for me it's like i've never thought of it from this perspective before but it's almost like having a recipe for a dish right like if you know the way to do it your results are the same every time and you might even be able to optimize that dish even more by using the same recipe but ultimately you know you've got a replicable 
formula. And that's what gives you confidence. That's why even if I had to take seven to 12 months out for an injury, I would never lack the confidence that I couldn't get my body composition or my strength back into a good place because the formula is there. And I think that's the most empowering thing that we can give to our clients is like, this is the thing X plus Y equals Z. And ultimately, if you know that and you don't come away from the temptations of jumping from program to program or Basing your progress is success based on the time in which you reach your goals. I think that that's yeah the key to longevity. And I want to transition yeah onto the online coaching and personal training side of things. Obviously, you've seen both sides of it on the gym floor and online as well. What are the biggest differences you're seeing between the results you're achieving with those you're coaching on the gym floor and those who are you're coaching online? Demographic is is really important because the demographic I coach online is different to the demographic I coach in the gym. I think that it's one of those where the screening system, I don't mean movement screening, I mean that like the, the how applicable is this person for that person type of thing is really important because I actually got asked this question by someone I was treating and he said, what do you think your results rate should be as an online coach? And I thought about it and he was asking a few people and I thought about it myself. And after thinking, as I said, well, to be honest, hundred percent, you know, if I was to show you the list of clients that I've got and say, who's achieving their goals, it, it wouldn't be a hundred percent for whatever reason, because I have a lot of people who are rehab based and not necessarily all doing a photo shoot. But what I was essentially saying to him is that the way I, and we, when I say we, it's myself and business partner, Jay, Jay's a WNBF world natural bodybuilding pro. So he, he's a pro bodybuilder and we have the online coaching company. And the way we look at it is that you have to fit the bill. You know, we don't, you know, we're not turning people away or we say whichever, but we see it as like giving a quote. You know, if someone comes around, they're going to do a job. They're going to fix your body. They're going to paint your house. They're going to do a job at your house. They'll look at you and say, right, well, you need this amount of work. It's going to take me four days and it's going to cost you this amount of money. You know, and if you turn around and say, well, I want you to do it in two. And they said, look, if I do this properly, I'm going to have to do this in four to five days. If that's an experienced, you know, tradesperson, you'd have to take the word for it. And what I mean by that is that when somebody comes to us, we'll say to them, they, they might say, right, we want to do a photo shoot in 12 weeks. And be like, well, absolutely not. No way. Or, you know, or I want to do this in 12 weeks or that. And that's not going to happen. And that's the thing is that you're essentially, it's, it's transparency. So transparency is the most important thing, but it, people don't necessarily want to do it because they'll turn away business and people will be like, oh, I went to this person. They, you know, said it'd take me 16 weeks or 24 weeks. And they, and people probably think that it's, you it's a way of you wanting to get more money out of them because they're spending more time with you. And it's the opposite. It's just being honest. It's like, look, you need more time. You are not going to get in that shape in that time. And if you do get in that shape in 12 weeks, what you're going to have to go through physically, mentally, metabolically may not be safe, may not be good for you long-term. And it'll more than likely mean that you end up back in square one, if not worse than just as quick that amount of time. So in terms of the results that we get is if somebody has come to us and they've signed up and we've got six months to prep them and they're going to do a photo shoot, they will 100% at the end of that look insane, bar none, because we made sure that they're physically and mentally willing to put in the work to do that. And that's why we have mainly personal trainers, but some people who aren't who come to us and they'll get really, really good results. But we can't do that with everyone. And the reason why we can't is that people aren't in positions where they can or should be doing that. Because what will apply to a mid-20s something or mid-20s personal trainer who doesn't have any kids and has ample amounts of time will not work for you know a mum of two in her 30s or 40s who's working a desk job and, and got a lot of responsibilities. It just doesn't work that way. So in terms of 
what works with the, with the clientele, you just got to respect who you're working with. You've got to look at things from a longevity point of view. But the number one thing is that you are always putting this person's best of interest first and you don't create false expectations. So you don't say to them, oh yeah, in 12 weeks, we'll get 12 kilos off you. We'll get whatever, we'll get this with you because you have to understand where what the likelihood of this person being compliant is, where the roadblocks are going to be. So where are they going to come unstuck because of whatever reason and understanding that. And, and essentially that does come through experience of doing it. But to kind of go back and, and, and answer the question, it's the product has to fit the demographic, but you all always have to be honest about what it'll take and how long it'll take. And if you do that, you, you should be able to get good turnover of results. And it's interesting you mentioned in regards to extending the process and some people thinking, yeah, obviously you want to get more money out of that person because they're spending a longer time frame with you. However, the reality is that if they stay with you for three months, they're quite often going to waste their money because they're going to be disappointed by what they achieve, probably not stay on with you and then end up back at square one. So you're absolutely right in saying like, okay, let's map this out for a slightly longer. Let's keep you in it. Let's genuinely get you to where you want to be, which is kind of what I do within my coaching service. It's like, I want to coach you to the point in which you are in a position where not only you have results, you're able to sustain them. And technically you don't actually need me anymore to move forward. And I'm like, that's much more productive than me getting you in the shape of your life in 12 to 18 weeks. And then you just being kind of essentially back at square one, but with a great physique for about four weeks. So you're absolutely right in saying that. So I'm interested in getting an idea of, aside from the thorough screening process, is there any keys to success for those who are going to be starting a journey with a coach online? Is there anything else that you found that this is the type of attribute that someone needs if they're going to work with a coach online and get some incredibly good results? Yeah. So anybody who's going to a coach needs to know certain things, which is, which is essentially, it's not always the way, it's not always the way, but you get what you pay for in terms of like, and I'm not saying just because someone's expensive, they are good. And I'm not saying if somebody's cheap, they are bad, not in the slightest, but, but there's a lot of competition in terms of like, in other words, if you get a deal, you know, for like for 12 weeks, if you know, it was X amount, but now it's this and you get that type of thing is that be wary of that factors. But also you kind of just, you, you, I would say you'd always have to go by results. You'd always have to go by like, what has this person done? How do they function? What are they about? Are they more about likes for themselves as in like, this is them flaunting their lifestyle or them flaunting just about them or are they about their clients? So what's the focus? What am I getting from this person's brand? Is it very client central or is it a very kind of me central type of thing? But also before parting with any money, it's that thing. And again, it was the first thing that sprung to my mind, but I didn't want to sound so cliche, but it's like, what is your why? Why why do you want this? You know, at the end of the day, don't kid yourself. Don't ever invest into something and kid yourself and think the coach has the answer because they do not. A coach cannot come around to your house and prep your meals. They cannot get you out of bed at five in the morning to do cardio. They cannot stop you from eating chocolate on a Friday night when you know you're not supposed to. They can't do those things. You have to have set in stone why you want to do this. And an exercise I use with a lot of my clients is like, think of yourself as a kid and think of yourself as like a point in your life where you saw yourself as vulnerable and just see yourself as being a role model or icon to that kid. So in other words, you know, whenever you were at a stage where you wanted to look like something, you know, when you were like maybe 10 years old, you'd say like, what's 35 year old you going to look like? Remember that you're a role model, not necessarily just to your kids, or but to that person as well. And they want to know that growing up in their future, they're going to look, they're going to be healthy, look better and, and look the part. So you've got to hit someone right in the feelings, I think, or you hit yourself in the feelings in terms of like, if you're going to invest into it, be all in, really commit to it. 
And don't kid yourself into thinking this coach is going to have a magic wand. You know, they're going to be there for accountability. They're going to be there for guidance. They're going to, you know, most coaches will be very, very good, but they, they can only guide. They can't do it for you. So make sure you're going to do it yourself. And the thing that came to my mind, because I've, I really appreciate your content. I think it's fantastic. If I'm completely honest, I don't often say that to people on air as well, but it's very, very helpful for both trainers and general population. And do you ever get that temptation to be a little bit more me focused? Because I can imagine that as much as your content is super valuable, it might not be the sexiest in the world. And obviously more topless selfies might sell more coaching. <laughs> so is there that, ever that temptation to go down that route or are you staying true to your values on that front? Oh, right. that's like literally the daily battle. So a funny one, and this is no word of a lie. My business partner, Jay, and I were, uh, he's, he's very, very busy one-to-one. Like he's a really, really busy one-to-one PT coach and he's an online coach and he has clients there, but it, it, he sees people, he gets insane transformations in person. And I was just like, oh, I haven't been able to film anything in the gym. Have you got anything? He's like, no, I don't have anything either. I was like, right, well, let me just go through my phone and I'll figure out what I can do. So I went through my phone and this is, this is in February and found a picture of when I was lean from last July. And this is on the, so we have three different, I have three different Instagram accounts there, one for my treatment business, one for my education business, one for my physique and online coaching business. So I just chucked it up. I just put a picture. This is me last July when I got lean and this is the condition I look to beat this year. I got six clients from that. <laughs> got six clients in like, in, the, in like a week, not inquiries, clients, like six online clients in a week. And I just was like, you know what? but to be honest so right now i'm dieting because um dieting for just a challenge that i set myself i wanted to get i wanted to be able to run a mile in under five minutes and it doesn't take nasa to tell you that when you're lighter it's easier to run so i'm dieting for that and so basically i will document you know the way i look at the end of the the diet phase so i will put that up but yeah no you hit the nail on the head is that i do sit and scratch my head and thinking because the only thing i think of Genuinely, the only thing I ask myself when I put something up on Instagram is, is this useful and applicable? As in, does can somebody actually get something from this rather than just hitting like because it's a topless selfie? But that's the thing that I ask myself. You know, it's, it's done well. It's, it's attractive things. But yeah, it, I think that one of the downfalls is that you have to admit that people do actually like to take interest in people. So all I'm going to say is that maybe here or there in the not too distant future, you might start to see a few little snippets of me um, kind of poking up every now and again, but it's more to inspire in the sense of telling a journey. Cause I do really think people take an interest in people as well. And if people don't know you, like they might get all this information and think, yeah, that's great. But if they don't know you, how you train, how you look, then that's the factor. And to be honest, and to be really truthfully honest, when getting information from somebody, the information itself will build trust because they think, all oh, right, this is really useful. But trusting the person is even more useful. Like you, I actually trust this person. And whether we like it or not, someone being really big, strong or ripped builds trust. It just does. That's just human nature. It's not going to do that. So you may see one or, thing, one or two things in the next few months. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to seeing pages and pages of selfies of you in the future. No, no I think the beauty of it is, is that the majority of the guys who are posting like this, they tend 
not to have the largest knowledge base or experience working with clients, right? And it's the me focus, but it's the solely me focus. So I think if you can get a distribution between those two, and I think the fact you run most of your content through that filter of is this helpful and is this applicable is already more than 90% of most people do. So I think that with that and, you know, throwing in a few selfies here and there, I think it's going to be welcomed warmly versus anything else. But yeah, it's an interesting question I ask for a lot of people who kind of stay true to that. Okay, let me just try and provide the most help possible. And quite often that isn't just a topless selfie on the beach. But yeah, there is always that conflict of like, mm, could I be busier? Could I get a success for clients this week? So it's interesting to get your take on that as well. So I want to ask you one final question, which is what impact, Chris, do you want to have on the health and fitness industry? So the thing that I would love is that I, I can't obviously treat or train everyone because of the, the volume of people like that. But I want First of all, if I go with personal trainers, I want personal trainers to be able to not have not be it's not a PT job, it's a career. So I want personal trainers to be able to do this for the foreseeable. I want them to be able to have confidence in charging more. I want them to be respected more. And I want people to, you know, be able to be at a dinner party and when people say, you know, I'm a personal trainer, they don't just look at them and go, Oh gosh, that's you know, you get judged and think it's almost like a juvenile type of, oh, you know, uh, there's someone who's self-absorbed and just counting reps. I want it to, I want to kind of help transition whether you still call it a personal trainer, but maybe you call it something else. I, I want that, that to really give the coach's confidence in having a lot of knowledge in, in both anatomy and movement and that self it will filter into the the thing of i am predominantly my job is a therapist i'm a soft tissue therapist now so i do do online coaching but i see people who come into me with loads of injuries knees backs you know necks everything and i'm aware of how much can be from training you know the way they've been trained and, and the, what they're doing in the gym so again, it's that education to personal trainers, which filters down and get, makes people be able to move better and, and feel better and be safer in the gym. So the impact I want to have on the fitness industry is I, I not necessarily change it because I don't think anything's going to change too soon. I think it might even get amplified, but I want to provide an avenue where if you want to listen to what I have to say and you want to be a reputable trainer and you want to be that kind of mix of someone who's almost a physiotherapist slash osteopath, who has a very good knowledge of biomechanics. This is stuff that I provide. So it's making sure that the trainers have longevity and financial safety long-term, but it's also that their clients have the same, which is safety and are able to get results in a, in a really uh, safe, effective manner. So yeah, if, if, if that's what can happen and the more people can do that, then I'll, I'll be very happy. I love that. And I think you're delivering very, very well on that right now. And if people want to follow the work that you're doing or potentially work with you as well, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram. I, I literally just changed this morning because I think people struggle to either say anthropometrics. I, I even do. So APX underscore biomechanics for the education one. It's APX treatments, which is in my bio anyway, If for, for people who might, might be in the Manchester area, if you wanted treatment. And then it's APX physique for the online coaching. Um, maybe YouTube channel, which is again anthropometrics. That's um, I really do want to make sure that that's got tons of mobility, breathing, stability drills with very, very minimal equipment. So the YouTube channel there. So I think it's anthropometrics, so Apex YouTube, and the anthropometrics website does have a free blog as well. There's quite a few articles on there. If you just go to the website on training and, and more about biomechanics and training, and then the podcast as well, which is actually just my name, the Chris Not Podcast, because I don't really, I'm not going to really change that one. Yeah, which is on Spotify, iTunes. So um, yeah, all those. Perfect. We'll put all of that in the description below. But thank you again for your time, Chris. It's been an amazing conversation. Thanks for having me. And, and they're really good questions. So thank you, Elliot. Really appreciate it. 
And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.